calling all lovers of mystery and fans of a good story. If you haven't already heard me talk about June's journey, you're in for a treat. It's time to don your detective hat in this free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. In June's journey, you get to play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. And did I mention it's set in the glitzy 1920s? New chapters are added weekly, so you will never run out of new thrills to uncover, and you can also personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device, or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Every five minutes, someone dies while waiting for a compatible donor heart, liver, or kidney. On a remote island in Lake Superior, a team of geneticists strive to engineer an animal with human-compatible organs, thereby saving millions of lives. But these ancestors are not the docile herd animals they envision. Instead, the project spawns something big, something evil, something hungry. Ancestor by number one New York Times bestselling novelist Scott Sigler is available for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. My new novel, Mr. Secrets, is out now. I'm very happy with how this book turned out. If you're a fan of The Warning Woods, I think you will love it. You can order a paperback, hardcover, or ebook through Amazon, and soon there will be an audiobook available on Audible and iTunes as well. Order soon to get your copy in time for some Halloween reading. Again, it's called Mr. Secrets, and it's available through Amazon. I'll put a link in the show notes. All right, enjoy the show. Welcome, friend. Follow me. We're going somewhere dark, somewhere dangerous. Most people would never dare enter the place we are going. There's no telling what horrors we'll find, what terrors we'll uncover. Don't say I didn't warn you. We might discover terrible monsters lurking there. Be careful, they could follow you out. Or maybe they're already inside you. Are you afraid? Good. Now you are ready to enter the Warning Woods. I believe my dad found the cot house in 2020, but we didn't move in until February of 2021. I guess it needed some repairs before we could live there. I don't know. I don't really remember much. The new house was only about a half a mile from our old one. It was a lot bigger, though, and was constructed with abnormal architecture that fascinated me. Our old house had been a plain old suburban cookie-cutter house on a nondescript cul-de-sac. My family had been happy there, at least as happy as any ordinary family ever was. But when my dad got tenure at ISU, he floated the idea of making a change. My sister and I were indifferent but my mom got excited at the prospect of a new house. She's an interior decorator, so, you know, she spent a lot of time making other people's homes perfect. I guess she wanted to spend some of that time and talent on herself for a change. Our new house was positioned in the middle of a curve in the road, so the nearest houses were kind of spread out at angles. It had a wide front yard that went straight up to the street. Most of the yard was pinned with old oaks, but a nice open patch had been cleared right around the house. The backyard, if you want to call it that, was just a muddy slope. The house had been built right on top of a small valley. The trees growing up from the slope were all sort of bent and misshapen, 
probably due to the subtle adjustments they'd had to make as the slope shifted through the years. I asked my dad once if that concerned him at all. He said, son, this house is nearly as old as some of those trees, and it hasn't moved an inch in that time. They built the foundation right into the hill. The house won't go anywhere. The house itself had a log cabin aesthetic in the front, sort of like a lodge at a scout camp. It looked like it belonged amongst those old trees, like it had always been there, or maybe like the woods had saved a spot for it throughout the centuries before its construction. The cabin look was just a mask, though. If you walked around the back, the entire vibe shifted to straight-up futuristic. The majority of the house was constructed from what can only be described as concrete blocks, giant cubes that had been pushed and stacked together, then hollowed out to create rooms and hallways. I know that's not actually how they built the house, but it's just what it looked like. I loved it. The house was just... different. Like me. It was unconventional, but not ugly. It was precarious, but safe. Standing outside it, I could imagine a whole future in that house. Someday my parents would pass on and leave it to me. I would live there with my girlfriend, although we'd probably be married if she was into that, and I'd work on my art. The house looked like the kind of place a reclusive artist would live. It was inspiring. But then I went inside. Whether due to the trees, the concrete, the position in the valley, or a combination of all these factors, the house was always dark inside. White fluorescent bulbs had been installed in all the fixtures before we moved in, and they helped, but they also gave off a sterile sort of vibe. They made the house feel like a morgue, but when we replaced the white bulbs with more standard yellow ones, the shadows all got a little darker, and the mood became more, well, moody. My parents didn't seem bothered by the darkness, but my sister Scarlett certainly did. One Saturday afternoon while my parents were at the country club, Scarlett came out of her room and approached me. She was, let's see, it was a little over a year ago, 18, just getting ready to graduate high school. Anyway, she came out of her room and found me in mine. She asked, does the sun ever come through your bedroom window? I thought about it and said, no, but that makes sense. Why? She asked. Well, our windows both face south and both look out into the woods. The sun goes from east to west, so it never shines directly in, and the trees block out most of the light coming from above the house, even without leaves. So yeah, it makes sense. It'll probably get even darker in the spring. It's already too dark, she said bluntly. Doesn't it bother you? Like, how do you draw in here without any light? I looked at her disdainfully. She drew back a little abashed. I said, I turn on the light, and pointed to the fixture in my ceiling. Then I pointed to the lamp on my desk, which was illuminating a blank page in front of me. Scarlet searched my room with her eyes. She scanned every wall, each corner, taking it all in. She pulled her jaw to one side, her tight lips turning white, and put her hands on her hips. My room never gets this bright, she said, even with the lights on. Scar, that doesn't make any sense, I replied. We have the same lights. All the light bulbs came from the same box. Maybe I got a faulty one, she said. Well, why don't you go get some more, I suggested, mostly just to get her out of my room so I could work. Yeah, I'll try that, Scarlet said, finally turning around. But she stopped in the doorway. Come with me, she asked. Why? I asked back. Because I want someone else to see this. Like, if the new bulbs don't fix it, I want you to see what I mean about my room. 
It's like I put on invisible sunglasses every time I go in there, or like it has a high contrast filter. I hate to tell you this, but the real world doesn't have filters, I said. Scarlet groaned. You know what I mean, you turd. Just come with me. You'll see. Now, I'll admit I only went with Scarlet that afternoon because I wanted to gloat. I wanted to call out her paranoia, then get back to my art unbothered. I told her to go get the box of light bulbs from the closet outside of the kitchen while I went to check out her room for myself. Our rooms were side by side, but in different blocks. There was open air between them where they jutted out from the back of the house. The hallway was lined with a huge window looking out over the valley into the trees. You could actually see the outer walls of both of our rooms protruding on either side of the glass. I opened Scarlet's bedroom door and peered in. With the lights off, it didn't look any dimmer than my room. As I had explained to her, the sun was blocked from her southern window by the trees. I flipped on her light switch. The two bulbs in the ceiling fixture flickered on, and a third in her corner lamp lit up as well. I had to rub my eyes to make sure my vision was clear. At least at a first glance, Scarlet was right. Her room stayed terribly dark. It seemed like something in the air was absorbing the light before it could touch anything else. Like a black hole. And all the bulbs appeared to my naked eye to be glowing just as bright as the ones in my room. The room had shadows inside it that didn't make any sense. The inhabited spaces the lights should have banished them from. Scarlet walked up behind me with the box of light bulbs. My expression must have made my feelings evident, because when I turned around, her face fell. Do you see what I mean? She asked. I nodded as I turned back toward her dark room. It is kind of weird. How come you've never mentioned this before? Well, this is going to sound really strange, but it seems like it's getting worse. Like when we first moved in, I didn't notice anything different in my room at all. It's only been in the last few days that it's been getting darker. What about the shadows? I asked. Scarlet shrugged, not dismissively, but like she was cold, and said, They've been growing too. If you're thinking my sister is crazy for not saying anything to my parents about the shadows growing in her room, I can totally understand. You'd have to know Scarlet to believe that she just doesn't have time to be bothered by spooky nonsense. As I mentioned, her high school graduation was just around the corner, and she had a few key finals to prepare for. She was also filling out college and scholarship applications with my mom's help, She wanted a volleyball scholarship so she could continue her high school sports career into college. She's a good player and works out every day to stay in shape. On top of all that, she's always hanging out with her teammates, her friends, her boyfriend, or maybe more than one, I can't keep track anymore. What I'm basically trying to say is, she's not home that often, and when she is, she typically isn't in her room, except at night. Have you ever heard of something like this before? She asked. She set the light bulbs down, apparently deciding we wouldn't need them after all. I shook my head. No. No, this is really creepy. It seems unnatural. I hadn't meant to scare her, but I could tell by the sour expression on Scarlet's face that she assumed I had. What are you trying to say? My room is haunted? Before I could answer, Scarlet grabbed my sleeve and gave it a little tug. She said, Get out of here. I was hoping for some help, not some Hitchcock BS. I stammered an apology and tried to explain that the words had just come out wrong, but Scarlet shoved the box of light bulbs in my arms and shut herself in her room. I guess she wasn't too scared of the growing shadows. Me? I wouldn't have admitted it to Scarlet at the time, but I was terrified of them. 
It's silly, I know, to be scared of shadows. I mean, I was 16, not 6. But despite my desire for answers, the room made my skin crawl and triggered instincts I didn't know I had. Survival instincts that pounded in my head like war drums. My hand hovered over Scarlet's doorknob for a few seconds before I pulled it back. I thought it best not to upset her anymore. Scarlet and I left each other alone for a few days. When the next week began, we got back into the rhythm of school and our social lives. My socializing being mostly done online, I found myself home alone quite a bit. Between games with my friends, I would get up to grab a snack, go to the bathroom, and would occasionally peek into Scarlet's room. The shadows were always there. It could be a bright, sunny day. It could be dark and stormy. Or sometimes, Scarlet would even leave her curtains closed. But the shadows remained in the corners and on the ceiling, as if they had been spray-painted there. On Friday that week, I finally told my dad about Scarlet's room. He reacted exactly how I expected him to, with a curious frown that pushed the edges of his goatee outward, raised eyebrows, and a wrinkled forehead. He said, Show me. Mom had taken Scarlet away for a weekend college visit. The late afternoon sun was glowing outside, and even though it wasn't shining directly into Scarlet's window, there still should have been plenty of light coming through. As I knew it would be, Scarlet's room was far too dim, though, and the shadows had nearly become opaque shapes on the walls. Good lord, Dad muttered as he looked in. I couldn't help but notice he seemed as hesitant as me to actually go inside. We both stood awkwardly in the doorway, Each of us turned a little to the side to make room for the other. Now that is interesting, he said. What do you think it is? I asked. I thought out of everyone I knew, my dad the college professor would at the very least know where to look for an answer, and he didn't disappoint. I have a colleague, he said, trailing off as he studied the biggest shadow on the ceiling. He suddenly shook his head and continued, I have a colleague who studies paranormal phenomena. Not officially, of course. The university would never allow that. No, she studies them under the guise of psychological research. She examines supposedly supernatural happenings through the lens of the viewer or victim's experience. She may be able to help us understand... This. He gestured into the room. That my dad immediately went to the paranormal concerned me more than anything. He's got a PhD in some kind of biological field. He's written books. Detailed, scientific books about microbes and sciencey stuff like that. Dad called his colleague right away. Her name was Gabby Pons, introduced to me as Professor Pons when she arrived at our house that evening. A pleasure to meet you. I think, based on the possibilities we're going to entertain tonight, you'd better just call me Gabby. I will be leaving my title at the door. Unsure how to react, I looked at my dad and noticed a wry grin on his lips. He said, Well then, let's get right to it. He led Gabby and I to Scarlet's room. Interesting house, Gabby noted as she walked. Do you know its history? I thought she was talking to Dad, but when he didn't reply, I looked up and saw she was looking directly at me. Uh, no, I guess not, I said. History is a strong word, Gabby, my dad said sternly without looking back. Well, Gabby said, there are some interesting rumors about this house then, or more specifically about the ground it was built on. Don't get too worked up, Dad said. He turned his head far enough to meet my eyes. Your mom knows about these so-called rumors, too. They're crazy enough that even she could brush them off. Gabby blew a dismissive burst of air through her lips. We got to Scarlet's room. 
The door was closed, as Dad and I had left it earlier. With an incredulous look at Gabby, Dad turned the knob. The door was practically sucked inward. The knob rattled when it struck the doorstop on the wall. A low sort of pulsing sound like slow wind on a microphone was coming from the room now. And the shadows had consumed it. Should I... Dad said as he lifted his hand to the light switch. Gabby, appearing to hold her breath, nodded. The lights flicked on, but the room stayed dark. The bulbs looked like a distant ship's lights on a foggy sea. The low, pulsating hum droned on. Curious to see her reaction, I looked at Gabby. I had expected to see her gaping at the abnormality and was surprised to see her staring into her phone screen instead. Yep, that's what I thought she said unimpressed. Better shut that door, David. Dad looked skeptical, but quickly turned off the lights and closed the door anyway. I can't wait to hear this, he muttered. He was putting on an act. I knew he had brought Gabby to the house specifically to hear her paranormal theories. Gabby held out her phone so Dad and I could see it. It displayed a calendar. I remained confused until Gabby spoke again. The full moon is tomorrow night. The first full moon since you moved here, I'm guessing. Dad took a moment to think, then said, Yes, I suppose it is. Gabby's lips pursed as she thought for a moment. Then she said, Let's continue this conversation in the living room. I don't want to be near this. Dad led us all into the living room. I felt cocky as we walked away from the room and asked, What are you going to tell us, Professor? That if our cat dies, we shouldn't bury it here or it'll come back evil? I felt delighted when Gabby actually laughed. Oh no, this is no Indian burial ground but the truth will sound straight out of a Stephen King story. I hope it's more akin to Shawshank than The Shining, Dad said with a strange sort of serious laugh at the end. We completed the rest of the short walk in silence, and soon we were making ourselves comfortable in the living room. Dad lit a fire, which made me feel like we were about to hear a spooky campfire story. You alluded to some knowledge about this house's history, David, Gabby began. Dad said, I believe I implied the title of history is too grand for the stories I've heard about this place. Well, at the very least, I assume you're familiar with the name Godfrey Cott, Gabby said. Dad grunted and shot a sideways glance at me. Remember, your mother already knows about this, he said, in a tone that made me feel like I was already in trouble for something I hadn't done yet. I didn't believe him for a second. Gabby rolled her eyes and dove into the story of Godfrey Cott. He arrived here at this very spot in 1897. He purchased this land to include many of your current neighbor's plots from the governor shortly thereafter. I will acknowledge the flavor of rumor in this particular part of the story, David. Many speculate that the governor actually hired Cot to come here and gave him the land as payment for services rendered. What services? I asked. The way Gabby talked was so posh and odd. I wasn't always sure what she was saying and wanted to be certain I hadn't missed a crucial part of the story. Gabby smiled mischievously. Godfrey Cott, she said with a dramatic pause, was something of a paranormal enthusiast, which was quite rare in those days, at least in the public eye. If he were alive today, he would likely have a reality show like Ghost Adventures, although I'm certain it would have a far more serious tone. Cott was a well-educated and meticulous man, He didn't simply show up with a Ouija board and ask the spirits to tell him what they wanted. He studied the land. He applied the scientific method. Although he himself claimed to be a believer in psychic phenomena, he had a reputation for disproving such events by uncovering their purely physical causes. 
Wait, wait, I said. I'm sorry, but I'm lost. What did this guy do exactly? Dad spoke up. He examined claims of ghosts and spirits to find out if they were authentic, and most often, proved they were not. I gave Dad a thumbs up and turned back to Gabby. She smiled briefly and carried on. There are documented claims of paranormal happenings in this area from the 19th century. I've seen articles in newspapers, letters, etc. People claimed that an unnatural darkness came over the town near the full moon when the nights should have been brightest. One writer described the darkness as a shroud which would become thicker as the moon grew fuller. Whether he was hired or not, Cott took it upon himself to uncover the root cause of this shroud. I wish I had my own copy of his diary. He detailed his process and findings in great detail. However, I'm quite familiar with it, so I will do my best to recall the important bits from memory. Remember, son, the best science is conducted in a controlled environment by a team, not by one man alone in the wild, Dad reminded me. I gave him another thumbs up so he would shut up and let Gabby speak. True or not, her story had gripped me. Cott used a relatively new device called an astrometer, now known as a photometer, to measure the light, or rather the darkness, each evening. He devised a very creative method in order to use the device, which was normally implemented to measure the brightness of stars. He placed a stool with a lamp across an open plane from the astrometer each night and measured the lamp's brightness. Sure enough, he found that as the moon became fuller, the nights became darker. Obviously, this did not make sense. Cott set about finding the epicenter of this phenomenon, using his method to learn where the night was darkest. Let me guess, I said, unable to help myself. He found it and built a house on it. This house. Gabby looked at my dad and said, He's sharp, David. You must be proud. Dad didn't reply, so she continued, You are correct. Mr. Cott explored until he determined this exact location as the epicenter of the darkness. Although, what he described seeing here is likely what caused the rest of his research to be discredited. What did he see? I asked. He used two words invariably when describing what he found here. Whirlpool and portal. He claimed he could see the darkness moving as if it were alive, swirling around a concentrated point during the full moon. I... I'm sorry to say this, but I would venture to guess that focal point is where your sister's room is today. Why did he refer to it as a portal? Dad surprised us both by asking. A portal to where? As a scientist, I will not speculate as to where the portal led, Gabby said more seriously than before. Not even Godfrey Cott would offer an opinion on that particular detail. However, on the night of the full moon, he detailed sightings of ghostly figures emerging from the swirling darkness. He wrote that very few of the figures actually escaped the whirlpool, that most of what he saw were hands reaching out, as if for something to grab onto, and distraught faces twisted in anguish and desperation. Well, that's just crazy talk, I said. I mean, whatever's going on in Scarlet's room is weird, but neither of us have seen any hands or faces and it hasn't been swirling like a whirlpool. These observations were made on the night of a full moon, Gabby quickly reminded me. And not just once, but on three separate occasions. As your father confirmed earlier, tomorrow will be the first full moon night you experience in this house. So you think a portal to hell will open in my daughter's room tomorrow night? The realtor failed to mention that possibility, Dad said, sounding almost angry. 
First of all, I said I would not speculate as to where the other end of the portal opens, Gabby corrected. Second, I'm not sure I believe all of Kat's claims, but it might be best to keep your daughter out of that room until the full moon passes. Good thing she's out of town, I said, then asked. So why did that guy build a house on top of the portal if he was so afraid of it? Well, Gabby said, if you'll notice, the rest of the town hasn't been growing unnaturally dark, has it? No, I guess not, I said. I hadn't really been paying attention, but figured I would have noticed if it had been. Godfrey Cott's last entry said he was going to build a structure to contain the portal and, hopefully, keep the spirits who escaped its pull from getting out into the world. I guess we can assume you are living in that very container. Dad scoffed. I went cold. Gabby eyed us both with a suspicious hint of glee. The good news, she continued, is that the portal seems to specifically be contained to Scarlet's room. I imagine if you keep that room locked up tomorrow, you won't have any problems. Will you come here? Tomorrow? Dad asked. I was surprised to hear a needy tone in his voice like a child asking his mother to stay nearby in an unfamiliar place. Gabby smiled. I wouldn't miss it for the world. When Gabby arrived the following afternoon, she found Dad and I picking up sticks in the yard. Afraid to go inside? She asked playfully. You caught us, Dad replied. It was true. We had barely spent a moment inside all day. Neither one of us had acknowledged our fears to the other. We just found a bunch of random reasons to be outside. Well, fear not. I'm here now, Gabby chuckled. Hesitantly, we followed her inside. Dad made us all dinner, and after we ate, he made cocktails for Gabby and himself and some tea for me. I thanked him but grabbed a Red Bull from the fridge instead. Then, making small talk between sips of our drinks, we waited for the full moon to rise. Dad was in the middle of some story about a student's excuse for late work when a sound like a jet came from down the hall. He spilled his drink on the floor as we all jumped to our feet. Gabby went first. She ran toward the sound as if she might miss whatever was making it. Dad and I followed apprehensively. Standing outside Scarlet's bedroom door, we could now hear a constant deafening howl. It droned on like a tornado. We could hear objects banging around, sometimes shattering or smashing against the door. Occasionally, a humanish screech would rise above the howling and make us all shiver. The door buckled and groaned. The hinges creaked, and the screws holding them in the frame threatened to burst out. Don't worry, Gabby shouted. This door must have kept the portal contained for decades before you all moved in. Dad looked like he was about to be sick as he yelled. No, it hasn't. When I bought the house, there was a heavy metal door like you might see on a ship with the wheel and everything. I thought this room could be just another bedroom and had the door replaced with what I thought was a more sensible one. Gabby looked at him as if he were a ghost himself. Then she looked at the door. Then she looked at me and yelled, Run! She gave me a shove toward the hall and I sprinted away. My dad was right behind me as we ran straight out the front door and into the yard. When we finally stopped running, we simultaneously realized Gabby hadn't followed us. Stay here, Dad commanded, but I grabbed his shirt before he could leave me. No, Dad, I begged. Don't go back in there. You don't know what's going to happen. Neither does Gabby, Dad fired back. We looked into each other's eyes and I watched him realize Gabby had made her own choice. She didn't know what was going to happen, but she was going to find out even if it killed her. She's dedicated so much of her life to studying this kind of thing. 
Dad said with a hint of defeat in his voice. Of course she would stay to see it herself. We had left some lights on inside, and Dad and I watched from the front yard as the lights grew dimmer and dimmer as time passed. Of course, the lights weren't actually getting dimmer. The darkness was getting thicker. There was still no sign of Gabby. Dad backed his car out of the detached garage, and we got in it to escape the chilly night while we kept watching the house. The moon eventually dropped below the horizon, and the lights in the house grew a little brighter. Dad jostled me awake as Gabby came out the front door and waved at us. She was calling, It's over, come back inside. Should we trust her? Dad asked me. Not knowing what else to do, I said yes. Thankfully, I was right. Gabby told us all about what happened inside the house. She said the door broke apart shortly after we left and she got to see the portal for herself. She said it looked exactly like Godfrey Cott had described, only it was contained to Scarlet's small room. The surrounding darkness spread out through the door, she explained, but the portal itself stayed contained. It seemed like she wasn't telling us something, and Dad prodded her until she finally spilled the part she was hiding. The darkness wasn't all that escaped the room, she said darkly. As Cot described, a few of the spirits got out too. I'm not sure where they went after that. It turns out they didn't go anywhere. They stayed in the house. We had to explain everything to Mom and Scarlet when they returned because we were all seeing the portal ghosts at night. It didn't take long for us to convince Dad we needed to move. We still own the cot house, actually. We rent it out three weeks out of each month. Wouldn't you believe it? The ghosts are actually a selling point. People come from all over to see them and experience the bumps in the night that come with them. During the last week of the moon cycle, we closed the house to visitors, though. Dad replaced the broken door with another heavy metal door like the original one, and it stays locked at all times. But we still don't risk it. The ghosts Gabby watched escape seem harmless, but we can't chance the possibility of something more sinister making its way out during the full moon. You made it out. Congratulations. If you enjoyed the story, please rate and review this podcast wherever you like to listen. Reviews are the best way to support the podcast and help it grow. You can also become a patron at patreon.com slash thewarningwoods. If you want more creepy content, including the images that accompany each story, follow me on Instagram at thewarningwoods. If you feel ready, meet me here next week for another journey into the warning woods. Thank you for listening. Hey there, this is Justin Bartha. I made a funny new podcast, King of the Egg Cream. It has the greatest cast in the history of podcasts with actors like Louis Black. I'm torn by my feelings for two women. Bobby Cannavale. You can eat it, or if someone hits you, you can put it on your cut. Melanie Linsky. I wonder what these marvelous things are that look just like boiled chicken feet. Jason Ritter. I can break things and pick locks and kill people. Michael Stuhlbarg. The whole point is to inspire people that they should make themselves better. Ari Grainer. No, don't whet its appetite. What are you, an idiot? Me, Justin Bartha. 
That's not just any egg cream, that's a Lemke's special. And all narrated by the hilarious Richard Kind. This is the story of Harry Dalowitz and how he rose from nothing to become New York's King of the Egg Cream. So if you like funny true stories, come listen to King of the Egg Cream, available wherever you get your podcasts.